Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Uncle Strip. Today, we're talking about mental health. And so I have a very special speaker today. We have Miss Ashley Harmon. So I'm going to give you the floor, kind of introduce yourself, uh, like a little self-introduction. Okay. Like Pina said, my name is Ashley. I am born and raised in Texas, originally from Comanche, but currently live in Austin. Um, I got my bachelor's and master's from UT in social work. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and a licensed chemical dependency counselor. Um, basically, now what I do for a living is I'm a therapist. I work in UT Athletics uh, as the director of the program. And then I also have my own private practice on the side. Fantastic. You, just, you sound busy. All right. Uh, and before, before we get into the like what you do, so I want to do some like kind of icebreakers just to get to for the fans to get to know you, um, just kind of you know what you do outside of work, you know, because you're more than just a therapist, right? So like, you got any hobbies? Let's just start there. You got any hobbies? What do you like to do in your free time, kind of thing? If you when when you do get free time, when I have free time, um, I mean I like to be social when I can. Obviously, be around people that matter. Um, in a setting where I can also talk about my own feelings. Cause you know, as a therapist, like right. I just, I could hear everybody else's. Um, I like to read, you know, when I want some downtime. Um, I actually like to color when I need some like self care. Color. Um, we're yeah. Talking, a, we're talking like <laughs> markers, crayons, color pencils. What kind of color are we talking about? Uh, well, I have a lot of uh, adult coloring books um, and I like to color with gel pens. <laughs> Interesting. So um, um, a stressful day. I just need to unwind. I'll do that. Um, um, I like to go to sporting events, movies, you know. Okay. Um, for for uh, you had said um, books. Are you nonfiction, fiction, history? Like, what's your go-to? Or do you have like a narrow selection that you go for? Um, I am usually either reading books related to things that can help me in my job, whether it's like relationships, treatment modalities, things. Um, when I want to wind down though, I really love like really good mystery novels. Um, those are my favorites. I like fantasy too, but, um, like mystery. Twilight? I like the Twilight books, uh, the movies, you know, obviously we're not as great as the books. Um, James Patterson's my favorite author. Okay. All right. What, what about music? Well, I know the answer to this. Because I'm not going to put you on blast, but just what what do you like to listen to for music? <laughs> I listen to great music. I didn't, um, from the 1800s. I listen to all genres. Uh, my favorite is R&B. And I do love like the 90s era. It's probably my favorite era across all, you know, R&B, oh, yeah. hip hop. <laughs> if you know her, this is 
true. This is probably the, the most truth I've ever heard. But, you know, 90s R&B is great. Um, TV, movies, shows, you know me. When it comes to movies, like Marvel, deep superhero action, what, where, where's your movie kind of, your movie uh, enjoyment at? Of all movies, I also love Marvel. I do. Um, most of the time, I feel, oh, gosh, I watch a lot of horror, not because they scare me, but because I like to pick them apart. That's your your, your therapist side coming in, huh? Yeah. Um, Disney. Disney is my favorite. Disney and Harry Potter. Um can't go wrong with either of those. So all of the old school Disney animations, like Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid. Hercules, that's my favorite. Top five for sure. All right, okay, all right. I'll let some of those slide. Um, but getting into the, the meat of the discussion, um, so I want you again, like lay down what's your occupation and before like getting, uh, so yeah, what's your occupation and how did you get into that? And then I also kind of want you to go into like, when did you know, have you always known that you wanted to do, get into this? Or was there a, a moment that happened for you that you were like, oh, this is what I want to do. Can, can you get into that? Yeah. So um, first I'll give you a little background into kind of like how my career started. Because um, it definitely did not start in athletics. Um, I originally started in the realm of trauma, primarily domestic violence and sexual assault. Worked at a really small nonprofit crisis center. Um, I served as a therapist, but I also, since it's small, you kind of wear many hats. So I also did hotline calls. I worked at the shelter. I went on sexual assault accompaniments um, at hospitals, things like that. And I was there for about three years. Loved it. Um, that's really one of my niches for sure. Once I got my license, uh, my licensed clinical social worker, which is kind of like the highest step you can become social work as far as licensure goes, um, I kind of just started to see what else was out there, just nonprofit world. Unfortunately, you just don't get paid enough. Um, I happened to go on the UT website, kind of looking at their center um, on campus to see if they were hiring and happened to kind of come across this job posting that was... Um, was basically like come build a mental health department in athletics and I was like that sounds really cool there's no way I'm ever going to get that because I'm not qualified but I'm going to apply anyways six years later here I am um, so at UT I am the clinical director of our behavioral health program and currently manage five contracted therapists a contracted psychiatrist two social work interns and a full-time staff so pretty large team um, I do clinical part of my job, so clinical therapy, and then the other part is just running the program. And then my private practice um, has been open for about a year and a half, and I primarily specialize in trauma and eating disorders um, within that. And then I honestly have a lot of different social work experience um, from foster care to medical social work um, to teaching, like kind of the gamut just because as a social worker, sometimes you have to work multiple jobs. Um, yeah. I always wanted to be in this realm. Um, there was no plan B. I originally 
just didn't know what social work was um, until I was a senior in high school. And I was trying to figure out like, how do you help people? Like, what is that, what is that degree path? And I had a friend whose mom was a social worker. So she started to tell me about social work and I was like, wow, that, you know, that sounds awesome. Um, I originally went in thinking I was only going to do play therapy with kiddos um, that experienced trauma. So definitely like did not expect to be in sports social work at all. Um, so it's a little bit how I got here. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it seems like you're, you're, uh, because of the multiple, um, experiences, like well-rounded, like you're, you're versatile from what I can tell. Um, so like getting deeper, what's a common problem um, I guess, you know, you have your private practice, which is trauma, and then you also have the UT, which is athletics. So I guess for these questions, you can go, if they're different, if they're different, which I assume they kind of would be, kind of go in to each one separately. But like, what's a common problem? Or this was a, just an umbrella question first, but like within the mental health industry, what's like a common problem you see in terms of like, either the industry being able to help clients or help more people or um clients need like or from a client standpoint of just accessibility if there's a problem like, I don't know you know that's why I'm asking that, that question but great question um a couple of things come to mind like one is the lack of resources um the accessibility to resources unfortunately a lot of times it's not affordable or there's not enough there's you know six months to a year waiting list or when you do get in somewhere it's very limited sessions um so like if you get into an agency and you have six sessions you're not going to do therapeutic work you're just going to do crisis management at that point um the affordability also comes into play with insurance because unfortunately insurance is very difficult to deal with from a private practice standpoint. So a lot of private practitioners do not utilize insurance and there's a lot of people that cannot afford 120, 150 out of pocket every week. Um, and so that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. And the second thing that I think is a big issue in the mental health kind of realm is that as a society, we really focus on intervention versus prevention. Um, so many mental health issues could be prevented if we worked holistically, um, you know, on development or recognizing and identifying issues, you know, decreasing stigma around help-seeking behaviors and that sort of stuff versus waiting until it's out of control and then wanting to intervene. Uh, so that's an interesting point. Uh, like what's, what is preventative measures for when it comes to, I, I guess for your expertise, like what, what is some preventative stuff you can do? Um, so first example that kind of came to mind is like the school systems as an example. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever heard, but there's a, it's becoming more popular. It's called social emotional learning. Um, and it's, it's a really great thing that a lot of schools are starting to adopt. And this is a very preventative measure in a sense that it holistically works with the kiddo um, K through 12 and is not just about testing. Um, it's about like socializing relationships, emotion regulation, emotion intelligence, teaching that things, teaching those things within the classroom as well. Um, which gives first and foremost just language to feelings because even adults don't have language to feelings. Um, right. And versus just like this idea of perfection and test scores, um, et cetera. And then the, some other things is just like education, um, 
really educating on what is mental health. You know, a lot of people think mental health and mental illness are the same thing and they are not, they are two different things. Um, you know, people think only crazy people go to therapy, also inaccurate. So proper education um, and just making it okay to reach out and say, hey, I want to talk to somebody. I'm going through some things versus like waiting until the clinical depression has set in and they can't get out of bed. Yeah. Well, I mean, go ahead and educate us then. Uh, the difference between, uh, we said mental health and mental illness or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, open well, up that can of worms. <laughs> You can think of mental health as the umbrella term. So right. everybody has mental health. Correct. Um, mental illness is just a subset within that. And that, that is obviously people who have a um, diagnosable mental illness from the, it's called the DSM-5. It's like the clinical Bible of diagnoses. Um, and so what a lot of people don't understand is you can have a clinical diagnosis and have great mental health because you're taking care of it. Right. You can have no mental illness and have terrible mental health because you're not using proper, you know, coping strategies, um, self-care measures, kind of that sort of stuff. So um, mental health here, mental illness is just kind of a subset within that. That's right. a, it's an easy way to think about it. That makes sense. Um, that makes sense. So that brings me to, so let's just let, let's just let's just create a scenario right let's say you have a person uh, they don't have a therapist and they don't they're, they're uneducated they don't know what they're doing but they know they need help and let's just say that they're not ready to take the step to find help what are some things people can kind of, i guess for lack of a better phrase we're like some i know this doesn't sound it's not going to sound it's not going to sound technical it's not going to sound very professional but like what are some like home remedies that somebody that is trying to, I don't know, maybe they're it's either depression or they're, they're in this mental slump. What is something that they can do like at the house or something they can practice to help to where, I don't know, mood, you know, I, again, I I'm, don't know what I'm talking about, but you know, you, do you understand what I'm trying to say in terms of what are some things they can do at home or some practices they can put to, to work on having good mental health? Um. Well, two big things that kind of come to mind um, is self-care and self-compassion. So self-care, I know, is a really like buzzword term that gets thrown around. And a lot of people think of self-care as like taking a bubble bath, um, drinking a glass of wine. And while those things can be self-care, there's also a million other things within that. Mm -hmm. um, the key to self-care is that you're intentional with it. So for example, if I like to drink a glass of wine for self-care, but I'm not intentionally drinking a glass of wine relaxing, I'm not utilizing it as self-care. Um, within kind of, if you're looking at like mental illness, particularly like depression and things like that, self-care can be you take a shower, you know, you do something that makes you feel good um, from a standpoint of just taking care of yourself with right. depression, particularly one thing, um, the easiest thing, well, not the easiest, but the thing that I tell all clients is that break it down into the smallest possible pieces to the point that it's excruciating. So an example, if you're laying in bed, you need to take a shower because you know it's good for your mental health, it's self-care. But thinking about bed to shower is overwhelming. The normal person doesn't have to think about all the steps. It's just you get in the shower. Someone right. with depression, 
that's overwhelming. So it's like, okay, if you're laying in bed, what's the first thing you have to do? You just have to take the covers off. So just take the covers off. Okay. Then you just have to sit up. Then you just have to put your feet on the floor. What that does is A, it tricks your brain into thinking that it's small tasks versus something large. And B, every time you complete one of those tasks, you get a little bit of dopamine in your brain, um, which gives you a little bit more motivation to complete the next task. So that's just an example um, of kind of some self-care stuff. And the self-compassion really comes in. Um, you know, the way we talk to ourselves really, really, really matters um, and really determines how we feel um, about ourselves, how we feel about others. And we 100% do not live in a society where it is okay to be nice to ourselves. Um, it's more so about perfectionism versus striving for excellence. Um, and so if we don't talk to ourselves nicely, like there's no way we're going to feel good. So just be kind to yourself. If that day you didn't get much done because it was a rough day, like that's okay. Be nice to yourself. Well, there you have it. It's a great <laughs> teaching session right there. Uh, so what's, a, what's some problems? And uh, I'm wording this question so broadly, but like what are some problems you see personally like I mean obviously you can't I mean I don't want you spilling beans if you're not allowed to spill beans but like what is just some things that you especially like when it comes to the energy that the industry where you're just it frustrates you because you can't really it kind of impedes you from helping or being the most efficient at you helping this person from an industry standpoint you know what I'm saying so like you know you're trying to help them but let's say there's something that comes up where you're like I can't help like I want because the industry needs to be fixed or like there's something maybe, maybe just, you know, having your own business, there's just business rules you got to follow that kind of impede your, your efficiency. Yes. A couple things. One is systems. So social work, we are taught to view everything from a systemic approach. So no matter where we are, there's always systems in place. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of those systems um, are built to be oppressive, you know, towards certain populations, um, et cetera. So that first and foremost is always a barrier, depending on what you're doing, where your job is, um, what are your expectations? Because if you're working within a system that doesn't help you, you're already like in, you're, you're already in the deficit um, and having to push back against a system at the same time, having to take care of yourself and help your client. Um, so that obviously is one big issue. I think another issue within that is that unfortunately, a lot of um, social workers and people in the mental health field are drastically underpaid and overworked. Um, so you have people who really genuinely care about what they're doing. They want to help people, but they're getting burnt out because they have to work so much in order to pay their bills or their caseloads are outrageous. Um, and at the same time, being underappreciated in systems um, that aren't always on board with what they're doing or even try to understand mental health. Okay. Um, and so now I'm kind of going to get on a, a micro level. What's, what's like some common denominators you see amongst, uh, maybe not even just clients, but like, you know, you know, there's like common denominators amongst uh, groupings of, of studies or people and stuff like that. Like, what are some common denominators you see amongst like trauma patients? So, you know, I know like common, non, common denominators for people that served in war is PTSD because of the, the you know, the things they go through. Are there, 
any type of because you deal with like um you said sexual assault and like when you say trauma you're talking like physical trauma I deal with um all sorts of trauma oh, okay. physical sexual emotional okay are there any common denominators amongst those like uh, uh group like subgroups with that or any common arms you see with uh and within the athletics so first there is um this kind of kind of goes into this there is a this is an assessment it's called the aces assessment and um, it is the most well-studied um, kind of childhood trauma questionnaire. It's only 10 questions. And essentially, the higher you score on the ACEs, the higher uh, likely you're going to have like medical problems as an adult, higher likelihood of suicide, all sorts of things. So within that, just common, den common denominators from a childhood trauma mm -hmm. standpoint are things like um, obviously, you know, people obviously are going to think about physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect. There's also divorce. There's parents who um, are incarcerated. Um, there's like, if you're, if any of your parents had a mental illness or any of your parents struggled with domestic violence or substance use, it's things like that. And so that is very common among being, being able to predict like adult behaviors. Right. Um, trauma in general, like Think, you can think of trauma as like, it is something that happens to us that we are incapable of coping with in the moment that it happens. It's way beyond our scope, which is why trauma affects different people differently and different mm -hmm. perspectives. So if me and you got into a car accident, I could walk away perfectly fine and you could have trauma symptoms, even though we experience the same thing, right. two different perspectives, two different brains. So that's why trauma is also across the board with many different things. And there is no predictability around like, how long does it take someone to heal? Right. Um, there's, there's lots of factors. Yeah, I, I, that, that makes sense. Something you would expect just because, you know, every personality is different. People handle things differently. Um, I'm curious to like, what, what kind of um, things do you see amongst athletics? Because, you know, my background, you know, athletics and, now I think about it, I know we had resources for uh, mental health. Um, I never, you know, I'm blessed enough where I never needed, I never needed to use or I never needed to seek help. Um, but I don't even know how that goes because I never used that resource. Um, so like, what are some, I don't want like you to tell me like, I don't know, just whatever you're willing to tell us, what are some things that you see from your, um, from the athletics side? Okay, so some like common denominators within the athletes. Either common denominators, or if, you know, you got some. I don't want. I don't want to say stories, but like whatever you can tell us in terms of like how it goes. Like maybe how depending on each sport, you see different things. Because I, I know you know in the sport world, females. You're talking about it's so much harder on females, mm -hmm. especially in terms of. Uh, the limelight or whatever, because just like uh, the W the the NCAA tournament, men's basketball versus women's basketball, we saw that what how the NCAA treated the women's uh, with the weight room. I'm sure that takes some type of mental toll because they they, they I'm sure to them they don't feel like they're valued as much uh, in their sport. So just you know stuff like that. So. I always like to start with this question as like, because and you're very familiar with this, that like athletes are people. So right. not only do these athletes, when they come in, um, have the athletic 
risk factors and stressors. They also just have people risk factors and stressors. And a lot of people forget that they, they particularly athletes that are in, you know, D1 universities or pro athletes, um, they look at them um, just from an outside of that. They have everything. They, they're not a vulnerable population. Um, they're entitled and that's completely like not true. Um, so you take like normal life. And then you add in things like the pressures to perform and the perfectionism that comes with that. I mean, being a student athlete, there's always someone there to take your place. So there's always pressure. Don't make a mistake. Don't get hurt. Don't get injured. Um, Don't lose your identity because if you get injured, you can lose your identity as an athlete, which is very devastating for some people who are in kind of like this identity foreclosure. Um, And so then you have kind of this pressure and not just from themselves but then you have pressure from like all the fan base and now people have access to you via social media so people get to say all things that they want to you and about you um you know you represent a lot of things and a lot of these kids they come in and say this is how I'm going to take care of my family um and then you have higher risk factors For the most part, I'll say that mental health across, particularly in college students, college students versus collegiate athletes are pretty much the same, except for eating disorders. Eating disorders are higher risk factors in sports, um, particularly for women athletes, and there are certain high risk sports. Um, So things like that will put, you know, them at higher risk for developing certain things. It's funny you say that because with the the, the pressure to perform because I can tell you one thing that can mess with a student athlete mental more than anything is uh, if you're a guy and I could talk from personal experience your guy never late you always are on time you do more you do more than what's asked you're you're you lead by example you follow all the rules you cause no trouble your grades are fine but on the field or on the court, if the coach, it, it doesn't even have to be that you perform bad. You perform well. Coach doesn't like you. They throw you to the side. It almost it throw you to the side. It happens. They throw you to the side. And when I tell you mentally, you, it's like if you're let's let's just say for example, you redshirt your first year, redshirt freshman. You have four years of eligibility. You sat one, so you got five years. You got four years left. And let's just say you get a new coach or somebody comes in and they don't really like you. Sometimes it happens, you know, just because you're on a team doesn't mean you get along with everybody. doesn't mean you get along with the coaches, but coaches have favorites. It's a thing. It's, it's sports politics. Um, they have favorites. And when they bring in their guys, they want their guys to play because it makes them look good. It doesn't, you know, because you were recruited by another coach. He's not even here. You get thrown to the side. Well, now you got these guys that are messing up, that show up late, that are getting in trouble, but they're playing. Yep. The rest of the time you're there, you're absolutely miserable for years absolutely miserable now yeah. you know I might sound like I got some hurt in my voice I'm not saying it's happened to me but I'm just saying I know that it's there because you're absolutely miserable you, the last thing you it literally takes your passion away just from the sport by the time I got done with uh by the time I got to my fifth year and it was time to decide if I was gonna take my shot at the league I didn't even like football anymore honestly I had a huge passion for it I had all these goals aspirations that flame died out a long time ago. But um, like you said, don't lose yourself. Because I knew I was more than an athlete, yeah. you know, 
I knew I was more than an athlete. I wanted to be a scientist. I want to be a professor. I want to be an astrophysicist. So I didn't lose who I was as a person. And I said, all right, since I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do sports-wise. There's no NFL for me. Probably I could have had a shot, but you know, there's no point in me taking a shot because I don't have the film yet, whatever have you. So I'm going to use this instead of looking at it super negative. I was still a little upset, but instead of being super negative about it, all right, well, since I know this is how it's going to be on the field for me, I'm going to focus on my grades, keep my grades up, and I'm going to use my resources to find my next step in post, uh, into post-grad or uh, graduate school. Well, because I did all that, I'm a PhD student and I have yet to still pay for a diamond school because I use, you know, I use, I use something that frustrated me as a way to build me back up. So I'm glad you like said those two things about, you know, because people don't know, like you said, they view, I was going to say us, but you know, they view student athletes as these celebrities and put you on a pedestal and hold fam, I'm, I'm in school. You got to remember half, half the half the kid half the people on a college football team half of them are kids eighteen yes. nine some of them come in at seventeen and you yes. want them to be these gods it's not realistic they they no. got great they have exam story about and you're talking about you know crucifying them on social media but you know I I can I can get to ranting it for <laughs> for a whole other podcast but well one thing that yeah. I thought of as you were talking was. Um, there's also the concept of like, you have a lot of athletes that obviously if they're making to a level of like a D1, they have talent. That's why right. they recruited. That's why they're there. At their high schools, they're used to being the star. Like everybody knows yeah. who they are. They're oh. going to be the starter, et cetera. Right. More often than not, when they get to college, nobody, everybody's good. <laughs> and so nobody. Yeah. yeah. Like most freshmen don't start. Some do, obviously most Very don't. Good. And that can be also a huge confidence hit um and then you get the well I just need to transfer you know and it's like like, let's talk about all of this um but it just it just made me think of that too just like that that additional pressure yeah a lot lot of stuff goes goes on look I'm a realist so I already knew when I I'm a realist so I knew I was gonna register before I even got on campus just because I was I was too I was too light so I already knew yeah I'm probably gonna register because I'm too small all right, but uh, just some uh, some things I want to touch on real quick before we wrap up is I want to, what are some three, uh, and this is kind of tough with, uh, it's kind of a tough question in terms of like what angle I want you to take, but what are three keys to success for, what are three keys to success for somebody dealing with any kind of like mental health? What are some like three umbrella keys to success that you would say would be beneficial to them either getting the help or building the confidence to get the help? Or if they're getting help, what things they need to do to be consistent or, you know, consistency is a key, you know, touch on that. One, everyone can benefit from therapy. You do not have to have mental illness. Like I said earlier, it's just talking to somebody. It's important that you connect with your therapist. If you don't, find a new one. If your therapist has red flags, find another one. And the last point of that is that your therapist is not a mind reader. Um, So you have to be open and honest with your therapist um, and they're not a miracle worker either. The second is the self-care and self-compassion that I talked about earlier. I I always, always preach that it's as important as food and water. We cannot have 100% physical health if we also are not taking care of ourselves mentally. Um, 
And the third, I always like to throw in boundaries. Um, their boundaries are not talked about enough. Boundaries are everything. Boundaries with ourselves, boundaries with others, like no is a complete sentence. Um, being allowed to, to set boundaries, take care of yourself, you know, end relationships that aren't good for you, et cetera. Like we have to have to take into account what our environment is and we have to eliminate things in our environment that no longer serve us because our environment is everything. Fantastic. Now, on the flip side of that, what are three keys to success for somebody that let's somebody let's say there's somebody that wants to get where you are? Mm-hmm. What are like three keys to success or three thing three like traits or characteristics you say um, are important to have if they want to get in a position where they can become a therapist and or, or social or help help other people? Um. So from a okay. One, my brain goes two different ways. One way is that like, as far as your personal own self-care and best, like one, the same thing applies to you, Um, self-care and self-compassion. We cannot show up for our clients without also showing up for ourselves. Um, This job is very depleting and so we have to re-energize, refill our gas tank. The second is like, you can't save the world. Um, and that's okay. Mm. Small things matter. So you have to value the small successes in your sessions, um, in your jobs. Um, every social worker and people coming out of college, I, I love it. They're ready to take on the world. Um, but unfortunately, it's a lot harder than that. Uh, don't burn yourselves out. And then the last with this piece is like, learn the systems you're a part of. You have to learn the systems. You have to learn the politics. You have to build relationships and learn how to navigate them or nobody's going to listen to you. Um, If you want to make a change, then that's kind of what you have to do. From the just professional side of things, I always, always say, anytime I talk to college students or classes, I'm like, apply anyways. When you think you're not going to get it, apply. When you think you're not good enough, do it anyways. The worst that can happen is you say no. And guess what? Like you're right where you are anyways, but you're opening a door for opportunity because you never know. So don't count yourself out. Okay. Great. Great wisdom. Oh, one last question. What is the end game? So, you know, yeah, what's your end game? Like, do you want to eventually, no, just kidding. What's your end game? What's your end game? Well, um, you know, as I can tell you the way it stands right now, I really, really do love sports social work. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a new realm of social work. Social work has been around for a really long time, and there's still so much to do within the sports and the athletic culture, um, you know, with coaches and athletes, et cetera. And I've really, really enjoyed being at a university Um working with athletes and working with other universities on building their departments. So this is what makes me happy right now. Um, You know, in the future, who knows what may come my way. Um, I don't have any plans to do other things. Like the most important thing to me is that I'm passionate about what I'm doing and I'm happy where I'm at. So the day that it feels like it's no longer serving me will be the day that I start to look for something else. Okay. So you're in a good place now. Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, I appreciate you for uh, hopping on the cast with me. Um, I'm sure uh, the listeners are loving it, getting educated. Because again, I like ha- I like having people on on subjects that you know I know about mental health. I'm you know I'm not the people that you know those people. 
oh, like you said, oh, you don't need a therapist. You're not crazy. You know, I'm, I'm aware that it's important, it exists, but I don't know much about it. And I like having these conversations. As you know, I like to talk. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, uh, you know, socials, where, 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 can, where can these people contact you? This is where you, this is, this is your chance to, it's a business, business card. It's a business card. Where can they find you? What's going on? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I don't really have website? All, the, all the things that you do. I mean, I do. I don't know off the top of my head. Come on, come on, a, man. I have a therapist Instagram. Um, right, you know, I don't have, what's you know, the app? It's, it's at unfixed.therapist.version. Um, it is just a place where I, it's my own self-care, where I make a bunch of infographics and post colorful things and remind you to take care of yourself and affirmations and stuff. So I'd say probably that one, if you want more of like positive daily content for your feed. Well, there we go. She's going to send you positive vibes to, to keep the mental health in good check. All right. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate y'all for listening for another episode of Uncle Strip. And again, Ashley, I thank you for hopping on and uh, we'll catch you guys next time. We are out. Thanks.